You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. folks, and welcome to the first edition of the new Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Pushots. Since this is the first show in the series, I thought it might be good to start with a little introduction to both myself and to the show. So, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a Linux sysadmin by day in an educational institution, and whenever I get a chance, really, I'm a very keen amateur photographer. And all the time, I'm a very keen OS X and iOS user. I'm pretty much glued to my iPhone, my iPad, and my iMac, MacBook Pro, and other Apple coolness. Um, as for the show, there's going to be a monthly show, and the idea is that at the end of every month I'm going to get together a panel of intelligent, smart people from within the Apple community, and we're going to take a look back at the month that was in the world of Apple and try to get that sort of the 50,000-foot view, try to get a little better analysis than you can when you're always reacting to you know news, 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 try to step back, zoom out a little, and try to look at the big trends and the big picture within all of those little new segments you're going to get from the many, many Apple news shows out there. So without further ado, I think we should get stuck into the first show. Okay, so joining us for the first episode of Let's Talk Apple, we have three fine stalwarts of the Apple community. We have uh, the wonderful Adam Christensen from the MacCast. Hi, Adam. Hey, Bart. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. I'm well caffeinated, which is important. Yeah, con- congrats on getting the new show going. Well, maybe save that for a few weeks to see how it goes, but thank you. <laughs> um, the, the, the laugh you hear in the background there is uh, Steve Stanger from, I'm not sure what I should say you're from now, Steve. The Mac Roundtable. I mean, that, the that's the only table. thing. I, yeah, that's, and, and, and now this show. Thank you for the party hat. It was great. <laughs> Very excited to be here. Yeah, no, delighted that you, you, you volunteered your time to come along. Uh, so thank you. And uh, from the other side of Ireland, we have um, a British representative in the form of a wonderful Gazmas. Good evening, Bart. And they say the first step is always the hardest, so there you go. Well, there's been a lot of steps before I got as far as getting on Skype, I can tell you. <laughs> Um, actually, speaking of steps before getting on Skype, um, you won't have heard, but the listeners will have heard a fantastic theme tune, which um, longtime friend and former IMP helpful person, Brendan Finan, composed for the show. So I want to say thank you to Brendan for giving me the theme tune. Uh, much appreciated. And also, um, listener of other shows, I'm on Gerard Monnen from the Netherlands for doing the fantastically beautiful logo. So thank you to both of you. Um, your contribution is very much appreciated. Now, so the idea here is that we talk about the big picture stuff for the month that was in Apple. And uh, there's obviously two giant big elephants in the room in the form of some new iThings and some new iSoftware. But before we get stuck into the meat of that, I thought it was worth remembering back to the start of the month, before all the fun happened on the 10th and on, and uh, looking at how the ebook case is progressing. Um, it was a few months ago now that Apple were found guilty. And there's still going to be a trial about how much money they have to hand over or what sort of other penalties there are. But what has been decided is the remedies, which is basically what the court is going to order to make sure it doesn't happen again. Because, of course, from the court's point of view, Apple is guilty. Apple don't agree. Apple have said they will appeal. They haven't done that yet. But the judge has to decide how to stop this happening. And so, obviously, the first step is that uh, the DOJ gets to say what they'd like to see happen. Uh, And they'd like to see quite a lot happen, I think, was how that went. Um, what, what did people think of what the DOJ was, was asking the judge to do? 
Uh, dead silence. That says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did anyone agree with the DOJ? <laughs> no. Who does? No, not at all. I, because, again, they, they took away, I mean, in the most basic level, they, they took away any chance of innovation and, in that case, any chance of competition. You know, when Apple got into this going back years, you know, when they got into the, if you want to call it the fight with hmm. or the wrestling match with the music industry, people were like, whoa, that's going to be tough. And it was, but it was over and done with. And then when Apple took on video distribution as far as movies and TV shows, oh, that's going to be tough. As soon as Apple wanted to take on publishing, that's not running into a brick wall. That's running into a mountain. <laughs> It really is. When, when the publishing industry, the oldest out of those previous two type businesses that you know I mentioned, you almost could have expected something. I didn't expect this, though, and this outcome. Yeah. So uh, I suppose we, so the DOJ had actually asked that there were changes made, not just to Apple's eBooks, but the DOJ actually wanted the judge to go further and to say that Apple couldn't have a 30% cut of stuff sold to the App Store which was pretty far-reaching, and the judge basically went, I don't think so, which I guess is, you know, some small silver lining for Apple. But the judge did basically completely cripple what Apple can do in terms of negotiating with the booksellers. Right. That, that's, the big, that's the big one, yeah. Yeah. right, is they're going to tie Apple's hands and not, not let them compete. I, the biggest problem I have with this is, in, in a lot of ways, it feels like they're just handing the monopoly to Amazon and just saying, okay, we're going to let Amazon control this entire marketplace and, and forget anybody else who wants to go in and come in and change things. I'm no but lawyer. That, that's, oh, go on, guys. I was just going to say, but that's how business feels like it is in the U.S. at the moment. You know, certainly with the, <laughs> certainly with the patent industry, it feels as if yeah. everybody is, is really tying it down and saying, it's mine, I'm having it, that's it. And it, it, it's it's not what I expect to come from the U.S. Yeah, they had this thing. It's horrible for the consumer. So really, the the loser in all of this, in a lot of ways, and they they like to spin it like, well, the consumer's going to win because they're getting, you know, <laughs> cheaper stuff on Amazon. But what we're losing is any kind of choice. And well, right? there, it, it, but it, it depends. On, to me, it it seems on whether you take a short term view or a long term view, right. So, if yeah, you limit very, yourself very. to the short term, Amazon are selling a bunch of stuff below cost. And below cost is a lot cheaper than cost. So, right. therefore, right now, things are cheap. And by Apple changing to a business model where Apple get a percentage, that makes it impossible to sell below cost because you can't hand over 30% of minus whatever. Exactly, yeah. So that means that, by definition, the price in the short term has to go up. Mm -hmm. But below cost selling as a business model really sucks because you can't make up for it with volume. Well, yeah, you can't compete against that. I mean, that's where that's where the monopoly for for Amazon comes in, right? Because who's going to compete against <laughs> negative profit? You, no one. No one's going to want to go into that business. Yeah. So they they're creating a position where they can have a monopoly by, you know, having having loss leaders and then trying to make up the difference elsewhere. I guess you, that's how that model works, right? You see, you see, in Europe, in France. Germany, you cannot sell products at a loss. It is illegal. Yeah, and the reason is because long-term it kills competition because yep. th there's no way Amazon is planning to sell books below cost forever and ever and ever because they're a publicly traded company and their fiduciary duties are to make money for their shareholders, right? 
Well, that's I'd, I'd back up slightly. Um, okay, that they, they may do if they are seeing enough revenue hit from the other areas, which are linked right. to that. Yeah. So if they if they continue to well, that's what they can use as a low theater. But can you keep? I mean, that's not really a long term business model, is it? Because oh, paper well, books are going away. Yeah. So well, you, if you sell a lot more Kindles because of it, because everybody only wants to buy from your really cheap book market, and, and especially if you create an, a business environment where nobody else can come in and compete with your ebook market, suddenly all the publishers and all the books are only on Amazon's store. And guess what? You can only read them on a Kindle. Or right now we have the Kindle app, but I mean, it puts a lot of power in Amazon's hands, right? Because if they suddenly say, "Well, you know what? We're just gonna if you want to read our ebooks, you got to get a Kindle," now that that might juice the sales of a lot of kindles i mean i've i've even considered yeah. buying a kindle and i don't even really want one but I it's thought, like i can get cheaper books over there i thought the kindle was the e-books. loss leader for the books the books the <laughs> exactly that's, that's right true that you're right you're making a good point too i, I don't know how much money they're making on kindles maybe maybe they're loss leader there too so where are they making their money is it back yeah. on they, probably the advertising that they're selling on those kindles i guess because if you want the cheap kindle you've got to opt in for their for their advertising right well, the way I was thinking of it is something, if, if you're in a below-cost situation, something has to eventually give. And so the way I was thinking about it was that there's two things that can give. Either Apple can stop, or not Apple, Amazon can stop selling below-cost by paying less to the publishers and keeping the prices the same. That solves the problem, right? Or yeah. they can wait till all the competition go bankrupt and then increase the prices. And that solves yeah. the problem. I mean, and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and still pay le- pay less to the uh, the publishers as well. Because they can do both. Actually, yeah, there's no earthly reason you can't do A and B. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a magic bullet too for Apple that's that's outside the realm of all this stuff. So a lot of this stuff, in a lot of ways, I think is talking short term versus long term. It's it's a short term distraction for Apple. But I think across the board in media, Apple's long long play is just cutting out the middlemen altogether and going direct across all their different forms of media. I've been saying this for a long time and a lot of people think I'm nuts, but I think, you know, 10 years from now, people look back and go, oh yeah, he was right. You know, so, so it, indie it, music, the whole indie system publishers. is a big hassle. Yeah, yeah, and it won't even be indie anymore. That'll just be the new model. I mean, we, we it's in the, it's indies today, right? So it starts with indies, but you have a whole generation of people who are growing up with a new distribution model, a new sales model, a new environment that, you know, you have creative people. And throughout time, all it is is creative people want to create things and get it out to the masses, right? And Apple is building a framework and a foundation to not only create, but also to distribute and sell that stuff directly, and I think 10 years from now, that's just going to be the new model. It's like, well, we don't need TV networks. We don't need necessarily publishers. We need, you know, uh, we need Netflix to, to take our show and get it out to people. We need Apple to take our, our books and sell them out to people. So the fact that they're tying their hands with publishers, I think in the long run for Apple, doesn't really matter because they'd rather just do a bunch of deals directly with, and it's not even a deal. It's come to our store, sign up. We'll take 30%, you keep the rest, and you, fi- you figure everything else out. We're just going to give you a place to sell and market, and, and then you, you figure out how you want to spend your 70% and break it out. If you need to hire a crew to film your TV show, well, then you figure that out if you, if you need you know, to, some time to write the book or whatever. So and, I don't and, know. Ne- and I totally agree with you, Adam, because I think Netflix are now proving that it can work. 
Yeah. Because yeah. They're, they're producing their own shows. Now, Apple could say, well, we're not producing our own, but we've got an independent network here, you know, the, the indies, which are just coming through um, our process. So, yeah, you could be spot on there. Well, and there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of ebook authors, too, that are going direct. I mean, yeah. we, we I should get Dave Sparks on here to talk about how things mm-hmm. have gone with his field guides. But I think it's my understanding in talking to him, it's been very successful for him. And he likes the model because it's a lot simpler, it's a lot easier. You don't have to deal with all the, the, the uh, sort of red tape and this, the whole this whole legacy infrastructure that these old models have, right? That are, that are in a lot of ways more binding than than helpful. But thinking it forward again, so mm-hmm. let's imagine we have a very competitive ebook market, and so there's not just Apple and Amazon. There's actually quite a few players, mm-hmm. and then you're the indie book writer. Mm-hmm. You're then going to have to spend a lot of time dealing with individual. Publisher, or, well, pseudo publishers, whatever you want to call the deliverers of distributors, books. whatever distributors. you want to say, yeah. But then isn't it going to become Retail a outlets. need for agents of some sort to do that on your behalf? And what we end up with <laughs> is new age publishers that never, ever, ever had a piece of paper and now provide a new e version of the service. And maybe they, maybe they can be the same people, but maybe there's too much inertia. And what's actually needed is a whole new generation of a new style of publisher who deal with the e stuff only. But there's but kind of see, no deal to have to do, right? I mean, you don't have to negotiate anything, but anything in this new model. It's effort, but again, you're now keeping 70% of what you make instead of 2%. Right, so you give 20% to someone to do the effort, and you keep 50 Exactly. Steve, you were jumping in there? Well, Sorry. yeah, no, I was just going to jump in, but it, it's not anything different than what we've seen before what apple i mean the 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 tv industry the movie industry had to reinvent themselves in this age of digital hmm. music definitely and maybe it was somewhat easier for those two to do it uh, i'm trying to figure out you know with adam's example you know the short term versus the long term and how people think what he said is crazy to me that makes perfect sense the example you gave as far as moving forward and 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 looking at it in the long term why wouldn't basically what you said adam was apple wants to eliminate the middleman it's worked it's worked in two out of three areas that apple went after i think like i said i think it's going to take a lot longer for publishers to kind of come around to that idea and well, realize I'm it. I think it's not the, pub- the publishers aren't going to be the ones who come around. And even with the, I, I get, get your point. It seems like that way with music, but I mean, music, we still have the record labels kind of yeah. in there. And yeah. I mean, there's still the middlemen in, in the way mucking up the process. I'm saying we're going to get to a much more streamlined uh, model where you have the content creator, you have uh, a distributor, whether it's Amazon or Netflix or Spotify, or I, I don't know, you know, we're seeing kind of the players who are likely going to become the people uh, distributing and, and providing a way for the content creators to make money off this stuff. And then you have the consumer. It's a much more direct path where in the current systems and models, you have so many people and lawyers and people with their hand right. out and, and the money gets divided up so many different ways that at the end of the day, it's really bad for the creator, and when you think about it, the create the content creator, the person who's putting the stuff together, should be the one getting the largest cut, and they're usually the yep. one getting the tiniest cut. It, it's completely backwards. 
Which is a leftover from the days when printing a book involves some really expensive plant. exactly yeah there was there was a lot of lot of things that had to go into into that but all that's blown away i mean yeah, but, think but, about it you, you couldn't reach a global audience very easily before so you needed film distributors to get your get your film into different markets and right. stuff like that now i can post it on on youtube or vimeo and everybody can see it but is there not a danger of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because a right and a good editor is worth a fortune if you're writing a book. Yes. And the, the, as well as, you know, printing and transporting books, the publishers are also there providing support to the authors. And there is a danger right. that we can end up throwing the baby out with the bath. Or, well, there's a danger, I guess, of the publishing industry. No, you'd hire, your own, you'd hire your own editor. And the thing is, the consumers are going are gonna to ultimately decide with their dollars, you know, what they're willing to, what they're willing to buy and what they're willing to accept. And, you know, so you're not going to be able to just throw out quality. Because a lot of people think in this new model, well, then we're just going to end up with a bunch of crap. Can I say that? Yeah, you're uh, kind of crap podcast. That nobody, that, you know, nobody wants. But I don't see that happening because, I mean, artists and content creators, the good ones, are very concerned about quality and they will take care of that part of of this model. I, I don't I have no qualms about like people just throwing stuff out. Sure, there's going to be a lot more junk, but, you know, consumers are going to filter that out. And the other thing is that I think audiences are changing, too. You don't have to have the same kinds of of audiences with this new revenue model either because it's cheaper to distribute it's cheaper to produce um and you don't have everybody taking again taking a giant cut so you you can be much more efficient from a cost perspective about producing quality stuff because you're getting to keep more of the profit so i don't know i i, I really believe in the model maybe it's because i've been a podcaster for so long and it seems like it's taken forever for this revolution to come about but i, I and again i'm talking i think we're still five ten probably more like ten years out from from what I'm talking about, but it's happening, and you can see which companies are in a position to take advantage of it. I'm talking about Am- Amazon and or Am- probably Amazon and Netflix and Apple. I mean, there's a there's a handful of people and these old dinosaurs who are trying to hold on to these old models. I think in ten years, fifteen years, we won't even be talking about them. No, they, so. they won't even be a part of the system. Um, before we move on, which I, we are going to do shortly, um, just to mention another side of this. So Apple chose to go the route of not settling, and uh, I mean, their appeal could work out well for them, but at this minute in time, it hasn't worked out so well. Yeah, I um, think they're going to lose, <laughs> just as an aside. I, I think I, this one's dead. I, I have this, you know, in theory, a justice system is about, you know, the legal system is there to provide justice, but I don't think that this has worked out that way. But anyway, so Macmillan and Penguin decided to settle, and um, there was a bit of news early in the month about that as well, where they have started to issue credits to people who overpaid, quote-unquote, for books. Uh, if the book was in the <laughs> New York Times bestseller, you get a bit more back, and if it wasn't, you get very little back. But So that's coming back in the form of iBooks credit. So I thought that was an interesting development. <laughs> um, anyone have any final thoughts on the, the, the booky stuff before we move into the, the shiny new eye things? I, I think no, it, I if Apple wants to play, stuff. yeah. If if Apple wants to play hardball, they will do. They've got enough money in the bank to do pretty much what they want. So, and I, I think this is showing the DOJ up more than anything else. To be honest with you, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, right. So new i things. We started the month with little press releases with shiny, pretty colours, and uh, Apple got on stage and told us all about the new iPhone 5S and the iPhone 5C. And there's no point in me telling all the listeners what they are about, because you've probably seen them already. 
but of course everyone said, oh, this is an innovation because Steve Jobs is gone or something. Um, but, you know, put your money where your mouth is, etc. Nine million of them were sold in three days which is kind of impressive. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of done some figures on that. Um, mm. I, I think I calculated that they, they, if um, Apple made uh, full profit on every single phone and they sold uh, 70% of iPhone uh, 5Ss and 30% of the uh, iPhone 5Cs, and then I took a, a quick estimate at 10% of the 64 gig, 40% of the 32 gig, and 50% of the 16 gig. gig. So I'm being fairly generous there, I think, on yep. the 5S, and then 40 of the 32 and 60 on the 5S. I think they cleared 1.6 billion at that oh. on that weekend. <laughs> and, and, and Apple is doomed. Apple is doomed, and iPhones are going to iPhones are going to fail. That's clear, well, by the way. I believe. Yeah. yeah, that's clear. I believe that's net profit. <laughs> but I mean, BlackBerry must wish they were as big a failure as Apple. <laughs> True. I was just going to say, to be fair, uh, it wasn't it wasn't just the three days though, right? Because the the five C went on pre order at least a week mm, okay, in advance. Yeah. So they had a little more time this time around. The numbers are really hard to compare this time around because in the past, Apple's always just done the launch weekend um, sales numbers. Mm. And uh, another thing that's different this time around is, I, I'm not sure why they're doing this, but apparently they're not just counting um, actual retail sales, which is what they've done in the past, which would include online and in-store sales. But this time around, apparently they also counted their... Uh, channel inventory, which is something that uh, the competitors typically would do, which is those are phones that were sold to retail outlets, you know, big box stores. Um, those were counted in the numbers. Now, I think it's fine for Apple because, frankly, if you go into a store right now and try and buy an iPhone 5s, you probably can't. You probably can't. You probably can't I, find one. I don't. I, I don't imagine Apple get too much in the way of returns. Yeah, they're not they're not sticking around on the shelves. But the one thing that is counted in there again is the is the five C, which didn't sell nearly and isn't having the kinds of sellouts as the five S. Um, so you know, five Cs are also counted in there. So they did have two new phones this time around, quote unquote, new phones. Mm. Um, so that could be another reason why it's a little bit hard to compare these numbers, I think, to last year's numbers. So people need to keep that perspective in mind. There's some different things here. So it's a, yeah. still a really big number, and and it's not to be discounted. But you have to you have to know you know if you're trying to compare to you know six million sold last year you know where where it comes in yeah that's why that's that's yeah. why I came I, that's why I came from the angle of saying this if they've sold that many this is how much they've made you know right think yeah, on a that lot number. of money it's a lot yeah. of money um, someone actually did some other number crunching and uh, decided that if you take the iPhone and pretend it was a separate company not part right. of Apple but just the iPhone Love as a brand. Thing. It outsells the entire revenue of Microsoft, Amazon, and a whole bunch of other really big names. <laughs> that, that's also quite a mind-blowing statistic. Yes, completely. But I, I think Apple have been there for a little while, actually, with their, their certainly the iPhone. I think they've been yeah. but they yeah. perhaps haven't outsold uh, Microsoft, but they've certainly, you know, the, the sales of the iPhone on their own have, have made, you know, a, a lot of people have said, oh, they might as well give up on the Mac. Well, they're not going to do that. You know, they just well, the, are not going to do They still sell a lot of Macs, yeah, by the absolutely. way. Too. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't got the numbers to hand, but I would wager a lot that the Mac on its own outdoes Dell. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's not bet. nothing, right? <laughs> yeah, and they make more money on them. So, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's true, too. But lots, right. of people, lots of people say, you know, oh, they're just going to spit off, they might as well spit off. But that, that isn't going to happen. That just no. isn't going to happen. Uh, well, it wouldn't work because no. the, the Apple well, ecosystem is an ecosystem. It, it, you know, a Windows user has a much poorer experience of an iPhone than a Mac user. Yes. Well, maybe not much, but no. I, I, I think no, I think Adam Ad, I think Adam was going to jump in there and say, "Well, it could," and I agree with you. It, it could, but I don't think it's going to happen very shortly. You know, I, I think this this business model will stick around for a little while yet for Apple. But it's the core of what Apple. That's what makes Apple different. I mean, historically, there were a lot of companies that gave you the top to bottom thing. You had Sun Microsystems in the server space did everything from hardware to software, the whole kit and caboodle, and they were really good at it until they lost their way, and the only company left that still thinks that way is Apple and everyone else sort of went, followed Microsoft down their rabbit hole. Anyway. Yeah. And I, um, I don't think I was going to say that. I don't think Apple's getting rid of how they do business, you know, for a long, long time. Um, yeah. Well, I can't even think remember what I, was gonna, what, I, what I was going to comment on. <laughs> kind of went in my brain and left. I'm sorry. Um, okay. Before we go any further, right? So Ireland was not on the first day launch. So... Ooh. I know, and that means that well, now it wasn't my turn this year because I, I'm on the I'm on the even number cycle. So I, I my iPhone 3G, iPhone 4, iPhone 5. So I'm not due until an iPhone 6. But I haven't seen one, and I can't see one in anything other than pictures. And particularly, I think the gold and the coloured iPhones. I have a feeling that seeing them in a picture and seeing them in reality are quite different things. So who on the yes. who here has held one of either? I have. I, I have one. Which did you buy? I have the Space Gray 5S 64 gig. Okay, but I but I did hold a gold one in the store and and took some took some pictures. They're actually up on my Flickr and all my social media accounts. So, and I took uh, a bunch of high res, like fifty three higher res photos of my own uh, Space Gray one. So, if people want to see those, I can send you a link for the show notes. So is is the gold as gaudy as you might think not at all not at all it's almost it's and in some ways to it, my impression in seeing it in real life was it was almost too subtle if you put it right next to the white and silver one it's just a slight tinting and it's actually it's actually really elegant i actually like it a lot um not enough to go for it on my own it just wasn't not it's not my style yeah. Um, but I can understand why it's why it's so popular, and I think when people see it in person, um, you know, it, it makes a, a pretty neat impression. But it's it's very just very slight um, coloration, and it, it looks really nice. I wish they had done a, a gold and black one, which I think would have looked phenomenal. What so black front and back? Yeah. So where we have white, have it be black? Is that it? Exactly. Yeah. I think it would have looked really nice with the gold chamfered edge on the on the black front. I think it would have stood out a little bit more. Um, I, I like the contrast, which is why I really like the space gray uh, versus the black iPhone. One of my complaints about the black I, iPhone, the slate one previously, was that um, you know the 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 colors contrasted, but it it looked almost like they were trying to match, and so it never really felt that finished to me. Whereas I like um, 
the the offsetting of these two. And the other nice thing about the new slate, uh, the new uh, space gray one, is that the chamfered edge is just the polished. It allows them to have just the polished sort of silver, hmm. which is going to show a lot less dings than that that black one did. So I think that was the main reason, or pro- likely why they changed the color. I, I think I famously made fun of people for buying white iPhones in the past, and then when I saw the black iPhone five, I bought a white one. <laughs> well, for a start, like, yeah. the notion of having a silver metallic ring around the outside and then painting it black so you can scratch it in the most obvious way possible struck me as nuts. <laughs> yeah, um, that was crazy. Having the phone be black, 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 and black, it, it just it didn't work for me. And especially now, actually, with iOS 7, I think the white iPhones have sort of come into their own because the OS is much more white than black. Yeah. Well, I, I must say, I, I, I've ordered one, but because I had a 4S, which is now in the hands of my uh, eldest daughter. So I've been without without phone now for two weeks. And I ordered oh, I, I ordered at 5am in the morning and it is being prepared for dispatch. And I thought I'd go for the one which is going to be as rare as a chocolate teapot, which is the silver one. I was so the well, we were called <laughs> the white until well the white yeah it's got but it's yeah it's the it's, it's the middle it's the middle one people are either going gold or the grey I thought I'll go I'll go oddball here and and see how it looks but I'm still waiting for it to be dispatched unfortunately okay well, so you're going from the 4s so that's going to be your first experience yes. of the stretch screen which correct will be interesting correct. correct so has anyone held the colourful one yes. I had a chance to play with those in the store too, and that's the five C is the is the one that come this holiday season. It, I think people are going to be really surprised how many of those Apple sells um, in your hand. It is, I mean, it is not a plastic experience at all. Um, the weight of it, and almost, you know, I think it's exact. I, I have to look at the the weights, but I mean, it's got a, and I shouldn't say it's heavy. It has a density to it, I think is how Don McAllister uh, termed it. You know, it's like it's solid in your hand. And the colors I, I like a lot better. I, I'm still not a fan of the pink one. I think it's a little <laughs> orangey sure salmon color. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's not even really, it's not even really pink, pink. It's kind of like neon pink. I don't know how to describe but, but, it. If you ha- if you have a neon pink Crayola, I think that's pre- gets pretty close to the color. Uh, but but are the they, green are they the not blue- all like highlighter pens. I mean, are they not all pretty extreme colors. They are very extreme colors. Yeah, yeah. But I think people are going to like that. I think I think the target audience for that. I think there's going to be a lot of kids who's you know this is the phone that they want. Um, yeah. you know, cause they've got some style and some colors to them. I think, you know, they're going to be a little bit more, um, durable in terms of dropping, at least on the back. I think, I think the glass is always a problem and there's nothing, there's no way you're going to get around that. I mean, if you drop it face down on concrete, you're, you're, you <laughs> pressing yeah. your luck. Um, yeah, but those of physics still apply even, even to Apple devices. <laughs> Unicorn tier is not included. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but no, they're they're gorgeous, and and I think that's the thing is like uh, everybody's commenting. Well, you know, opening weekend the five C didn't sort of have the the sell through that the five S did, did, but it's not an early adopter phone. No. You know, the five C is that phone that you know as people are going in and doing their shopping this holiday season, they're going to walk into an Apple store, they're going to walk into a, a retailer that has these on the shelf, they're going to pick one up and they're going to fall in love and go, "I got to have this." I think and, you're right, Adam. I think you're yeah. right, and it's going to be the family buy. Well, not the family buy. It's going to be the parent buy for the for the children, isn't it? Because I mean, if, yeah, when the phone when the phone first. Phone or- if, 
Yeah, if you if you think about it, a few years ago we said, you know, kids wouldn't have an iPhone because it was such a sacred device and such a, you know, a leap forward. But now everyone's got them. So this is the one that the parents will be buying for the children, certainly. They're going to be upgrading, upgrading to or the second. You know, it's, it's for the non-techie in the family who wants a really good, solid phone that, you know, has a great user experience and stuff like that. The 5S is the one for all of us. You know, it's the tech, it's the techie one. It's the, I've got to have the latest and greatest, but they're going to sell just a ton of them. And I think when they announce their holiday, you know, sales numbers, what we're going to find is I I fully expect, you know, two thirds of the iPhone sales to be five C's and maybe the other third to be five S. And then Wall Street will panic. (laughs) Because <laughs> Wall Street are now panicking that they're not selling enough. But it's of them. not a cheap phone, so they should be actually really happy that Apple chose not to not to play that price game because well, they probably yeah, could have sold they, way they, more, but not made nearly yeah, but, but the, the, nearly the profits that they're going to announce. Wall Street want Apple to keep their margins high and simultaneously sell a cheap phone. Yeah, they do, Apple are damned if they do and damned if they yeah. don't. They, you know, so so Apple are playing their game. Yeah, yeah, well, that's Which just is good. good. Um, now. In terms of changes, I mean, we, we could get really geeky and talk 64-bit, but to be honest, I don't think there's much point in doing that. If, you're, if, you, if you care about that, you know about that, and if you don't, you don't. What I think is worth <coughs> focusing on is the Touch ID, um, which is, I would say, a mixed bag, and perhaps even a slightly controversial bag. Um, anyone have any particularly strong thoughts, one way or the other, on this thing? Well, I love uh, it. When- Yes. Well, when they first, yes. Well, no, I was just going to say, when Apple first announced it, I was thinking, how long until the first article appears after the phone comes out that says, hey, we broke and we were able to get into the phone? And it didn't take that long. I mean, I think it took, what, two days after the phone was released. The thing was that cracked me up was the headline was, it's easy. And then you read <laughs> the article and go, no, unless, you know, you need all this uh, high quality kind of printing equipment and scanners. And I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it was it was funny. I mean, I had mm. tweeted it out with easy question mark with the and got some response back and going, no, I was making a you know, it was a joke. The article wasn't a joke, but it, it's not easy. It's not, you know, to me, easy would be what you used to see in the old police dramas where they would. Dust for fingerprints and then use a piece of scotch tape and lift. Well, even is, that's not easy, believe it or not, because it's very easy to actually destroy the fingerprint while you're lifting. Well, exa- no, well, exactly, but they make it look, quote-unquote, easy in mm. the movie. To me, okay, then, well, you could open the phone by using a piece of scotch tape. I mean, the big thing, which isn't the case, of course, but no. the thing is, is a lot of these supposed hacks, if you will, require you... One, to have somebody, well, require somebody to have access to your phone for one and access to your fingerprints and then all this other kind of a higher high quality, tech. clean version of your fingerprint. Unsmoked. Exactly. Exactly. And something that I think it was Steve Gibson pointed out is that the finger that most people are going to use because of the way Apple has made the ergonomics is your thumb. Mm-hmm. And the finger you're least likely to have a clean, unsmudged fingerprint of is your thumb. If you, if you look at how you use your thumb on your iPhone, it's yeah. usually to swipe, and to, it's very, very unlikely you're going to get a clean, isolated thumbprint. But, 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 Bart, I mean, th- let's, let's be honest. If someone's that determined to get your information, they will get your information. Yes. And if yeah. this makes it easier for Joe Blogs in the street, who doesn't even bother with a four, you know, a, a short, short code, 
yeah. passcode on the phone, then it makes all of those phones much more, you know, much safer for those people to use and, and not worry so much uh, to use a passcode. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if well, people are that determined, they will get your information. They can always um, just, you know, put a gun to your head and say, touch your phone, please. I mean, well, you know, they well, have to be physically and, in contact anyway. And I think Apple would come out with a brilliant idea if they gave you an option to use another finger, which then put your phone into lock mode. Oh, now we're mm. into, yeah, you're right, but yeah. Technically, actually, there is a way yeah. to do that, right? Because <laughs> if you give five wrong fingers, Touch ID switches off. Yeah, yeah, but if yes. you could, if, if someone could just say to, okay, unlock it, you know, let's say you're in, a, let's say, for argument's sake, you've been pulled up by the NSA, the FBI, the KGB, whoever, unlock your phone, use your correct finger. Yeah, okay, you, you press the, you know, that's not going to happen, but you, you, you put your, your middle finger, let's use the middle finger, because I think that's, <laughs> the, appro- the, middle that's, finger. The, <laughs> that's the appropriate finger to use, and then it puts it in lock mode, which then you've got to put your code in, and then you're going through that whole process of more security. But, yeah. you know, that's what you could do. You you say that you know you use five you know five attempts, but each time you do it and it doesn't work, I think you know the, the pressure's then coming on, isn't it? So, True. Yeah. I guess if so, you had a drop down to say how many how how many wrong ones until you lock down, and then you could you know, they you, have that they have that. Oh, brilliant. yeah, it's 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 the same built one. It, you use the same setting that you would use for um, you know invalid passcode entries. So after ten tries, you know you can have it wipe the phone. Okay, but I, what you'd really like is that after one false try, it switches over to passcode mode. And the reason I say that is because apparently, <clears throat> particularly in the United States, the Fifth Amendment is a bit fuzzy. Right. And making you unlock something with a key is not considered incriminating yourself, whereas making you extract something from your brain is considered incriminating yourself. And so if you, right, so the thing only works on the fingers you train it on. So you just need to have one finger you don't train it on. You have it set to go after one. You touch once with the wrong finger, that's it. Now they have to get something out of your brain, which is constitutionally not allowed. Well, and, and it's actually, um, it, it does function like that, by the way. And it's the, you only get two attempts with the, um, the, a single finger. So, you know, you can put multiple fingers in there, but if you put mm-hmm. one finger in there and you fail twice, on the third attempt, it goes to the to the passcode. You have to, so they're, have they're to pretty the much there. So they, so it's there already. Brilliant. Yeah. And right. So something else I think that has to be said is the the Chaos Computing Club. The reason they said it was easy was because that fits with their message. They are very anti biometrics, and that mm-hmm. is their political point of view. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I do think that it's important for news organisations when reporting facts, <laughs> right, to take into account who the source is. Because, I, I, yeah. I mean, actually, maybe just sticking on the show notes, but Steve Gibson did a very good security now this week on all this. And he read out the accounts by the Chaos Computing Club and by someone else who replicated their work. And the other guy's tagline was, how I hacked uh, Apple's Touch ID and why I recommend using it. And the Chaos Computers Club was, it's really easy, don't ever do this. And they just both had p- different political outlooks and from the same facts constructed very different, you know, arguments. Yeah, right. So the way I look at it is, and in fact, Gaz, you've said it already, is the, an imperfect Touch ID thing is better than absolutely no password, which is about as imperfect yep. as it gets. Right. And we all accept this in the real world. Our front doors can be easily bypassed by someone with a paperclip who knows what they're doing. Well, uh, well right. how, many, how many movies do you watch where they've got a straight piece of metal and they unlock a door? I mean, Which happens for real. Like, if you watch yeah. actual lockpickers, 
I mean, their lockpicking set might be slightly more advanced than a straight piece of metal, but not much, and they can get through our door. So we don't have any problem with that, because we consider it much better than not locking our door. Seatbelts don't save every life in a car, but we still think they're worth using. So, you know, I I hate absolutism. It makes me cranky. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The the one thing I, I wish Apple would add to this that I think would be really helful and very easy for them to implement, and I'm hoping it's a a simple uh, iOS 7 update at some point, is the option to use a two-factor, so fingerprint Mm. plus passcode at the, Mm. you know, at the same time. That would be nice. And actually, something else just to mention, even if you use Touch ID, every X amount of days, you still have to use your password once anyway. Yeah, every 48 hours. Every, yeah. So uh, you have to use the fingerprint every, within 48 hours. Right. I don't think you have to use the uh, the passcode. Is that true? I haven't encountered well, that basically, yet. basically, there are like timeouts and things. It's not that just the fingerprint works forever. You know, the, yeah, it did. When I when I ran the software update, it made me put in the passcode before I could start using Touch ID again. I know that. So when I did the 7.0.2 update over the air, and the I, next time I needed to unlock the device, it forced me to use the passcode. And there is an Apple document somewhere, which Steve Gibson mentioned, that lists the times when they make you use the passcode as well as the finger. So they have actually thought about it. It's not considered absolute, even by Apple. Right, and that was released long before the uh, well, long before yeah. the silly word because all this happened in like a week. But that was I know there's a forty-eight hour. Yeah. There's a forty-eight hour timeout. So if you've entered in a, a fingerprint and you don't use that finger to unlock the phone for forty-eight hours, then it will make you again put the passcode in before you can use that yeah. that fingerprint ID again. Yeah. Um, anyone else have any final thoughts on Touch ID? Just that I, I, it's it's fabulous. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the the only other, the, the bigger thing that I ran across this past week from a security perspective, and it's more of a privacy thing um, that I didn't really understand, was Siri on the lock, you know, using Siri from the lock screen. Um, because Siri allows you to access a bunch of personal information um, from your, say, contact book mm. or now with the location services, the frequent locations thing. So uh, what I read an article on was you can activate, if someone has Siri accessible from the lock screen and you go up to their phone and you activate Siri, you can say, what is my home address? And if you have that record in your, in your address book, Siri will display it from the lock screen. What is my home phone number? What is my birth date? Um, what other kinds of things can you ask? All kinds of information is accessible. Again, someone's going to have to have physical access to your d- device, but you know that you're... Yeah, that's, you're that's not so good. That's not that, so good. Yeah. That's by default, right? And the other thing is control center shouldn't be available from the lock screen either. Now, you can turn both of those You can disable that stuff. Yeah, and I have now on my devices because I didn't, I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, I can ask Siri, where's my home? And she displays Ooh, the did. address, right? Yeah. And probably so, with a map, and she'll probably even give you turn-by-turn directions <laughs> to it. <laughs> um, and so what's really cool with the touch, so this bringing it back to Touch ID, so if you go in and you disable Siri on the lock screen with, and you have a phone that supports Touch ID, uh, because the action to activate Siri from the lock screen is holding down the home button, oh. it now uses Touch ID and you can still access Siri if you've authenticated with your Touch ID from the home screen while the device is still locked because oh, it now knows good. it's you asking that question, not some other random person. 
That's very good. So I thought that was nice. That was a nice touch that Apple threw in there. But I just want to make people aware because I, w- I had not thought this through. And so now I've gone through on my iPad and some of my other devices and just disabled Siri from the lock screen. So you have to unlock your phone to use Siri. It's a little less convenient, but it's more secure. And that, and that ultimately is what we're talking about here too, is Touch ID is more secure, I think, than the four-digit password. It's also more convenient. If you're really, really concerned then don't use a simple passcode. Don't use Touch ID. Use a long passcode and have that be the only way to access it. That's probably more secure than um, than a Touch ID, in, unless you know. Again, yep. you've got a gun to your head and they're forcing you to do it. But <laughs> everything's out the window anyway. It's not a secure. It's yeah, not a software problem. It's now a hardware problem. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But I mean, it, it's that balance, right? You always have to strike this balance, and that's what's frustrating to me about a lot of these articles is they they hardly ever mention that you know you're trading off. Security for convenience. Right. And that's a valid trade-off. And where you draw the balance is different for if you're the but, director of the FBI or if you're someone normal like us. Yeah, the key is people need to be informed and know to make an informed decision. So yeah. that's why I'm, I've kind of gone on a campaign at, since finding this uh, out about this Siri privacy thing. It's like, I didn't think about this. We need to let everybody know about this so that they, they can at least decide, am I okay You know, yeah. if I'm out at at dinner on a, on a blind date and, you know, I get up, I leave my phone there and the person might find my home address. You know, that's a little creepy. Um, no, I'm not okay with that. Or no, I'm okay with that. I don't mind. You know, some people won't mind, but some people, you know, will, I think, and choose to disable Siri from lock screen. And yeah. what, what slightly made me a little bit cranky, and it's, it's obviously because these features are new and they haven't been quite thought out, but to disable... Um, Siri from the lock screen and to disable the, 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 the what, what is it they call it the thing you swipe up from the bottom from the lock control screen. center they're not in the control same place notification center. Yeah. yeah they're in, the, the options to do that are not in the same place in the settings app they should be they're not both in privacy or something like that no one of them is in the lock screen and one of them is in Siri or one of them <laughs> is in control control center and one of them is in Siri they're not in the same place they're not next to each other and they should be and they should be together in the lock screen dialogue, probably. It probably would make the most sense. So, um, and there were three bypasses. So two of them were easy to fix. You simply disable the stuff on the lock screen, which I argue should be the default anyway. The third one, though, was a real problem because it was, it was through exploiting the emergency call feature, which A, you can't turn off, and B, you shouldn't be able to turn off. Um, yeah. But Apple have released iOS 7.0.2 to patch that. So at, yeah, at least they were quick. The- it was interesting, the... Uh, the- the phone call thing, the emergency call thing, I could not uh, get to work from my 5S running 7.0.1, but I could on my wife's iPhone 5, which was running 7.0. So I I have a feeling that one may have already been patched in the 7.0.1 update, but that was only available to 5S and 5C owners until they released 7.0.2. Yeah. Now, before we leave the hardware, I just have to scoff a minute at at Samsung for making a gold (laughs) Galaxy, and then we can move on. Um, so iOS 7 is obviously the other half of the new Shiny, and this is the half that many of us get for free without having to spend any hard-earned cash. Um, I am going to make a wild guess here that everyone on the panel has updated. Am I wrong? I have updated on the iPad. Oh, but only the iPad? Oh, because of the phone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can't update a non-existent phone. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a first-gen iPod Touch. Does that count? No. It no. What's that stuck on? Five? Uh, three? Three? Okay, yeah. Okay, it's well back. Um, so, I guess the first question is, how's it been for people? Um, I, I'll let you guys go first, and then I can have my little rant. 
because I am going to have one. It's been, it's been great for me. I've been using it since uh, since beta one because I'm in the developer program. So I've, I've been on it since, what, June? Um, and I've had very few, if any, issues with it. There's some there's some minor quirks, but nothing that is impacting me on a on a daily basis. Um, I adapted to the new design r- really pretty quickly. I, I mean, at first it was kind of jarring and shocking, but... Um, you know, give it a couple of weeks or a month, and, and it's just going to feel all natural. But um, we're getting it when our apps are getting updated. You had it when most of the apps were still the old looks. So you were constantly being jerked from one world into the other. Yeah, but I mean, it, again, it didn't really feel all that mm-hmm. that that different to me. I, I don't know. It didn't didn't really bother me whatsoever. Um, I'm still kind of getting used to you know buttons that don't have. Don't, that don't have frames around them or don't have borders around them, which is a little you know, odd sometimes, depending upon how the interface is implemented. Um, I still occasionally forget and try and swipe left to get to spotlight search. You're still um, doing that after months? I'm doing that about mm, five times a day now, and it's right <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, down, it's down to maybe once a week where I might just space out. And it might have been because I still had my iPads on the old version. I, I didn't upgrade mm-hmm. my iPads until uh, the, yeah, the I, final release. So uh, it's, it's, it's get, difficult being a switcher. Yeah. It's difficult yeah, being good. a switcher, isn't it? Yeah, moving back. Well, <laughs> well moving back in this case, yeah. <laughs> moving back and forth between devices on different versions is it gets yeah. weird. But uh, I think that'll eventually all go away. I mean, it's the same problem I'm having with with the Touch ID, where I keep forgetting. Oh, I don't have to go to the to the slide. I don't have to slide <laughs> down the lock anymore. Yeah, that's actually you can slide anywhere now, which is lovely. Um, Steve, how, how how are you getting on with iOS 7? Uh, pretty good. Uh, no issues with the install on an iPad third generation or an iPhone 5. Uh, I, I can't say, you know, the interface, I, I, I knew what to expect. There's just, I guess my only complaints would be nitpicking. There's, there's certain design type, in, yeah. certain things they did with the design, even between Apple's own apps that... I know over time they're going to fix that. It just seemed very odd coming from Apple as far as kind of odd font sizes and color choices. And, uh, you know, a good example, you know, just kind of look at the calendar app. And that gives you a good idea of, you know, just white with the blue and red, which seems like odd choices to me. But then. When you have like a cancel button come up within an Apple app, the red and then the bold blue that shows up. Again, nit- nitpicking type stuff, but really I have not run into any um, issues. I know some people uh, just got a call the other day from a, a, a friendly competitor who's a consultant and had install issues both on – on fairly new equipment, a newer, you know, of iPhone, um, well, iPhone 5, and a newer iPad. And it was like third times the charm. They had to re-download the software three different times. Now, they're thinking maybe there was an app that they were running that wasn't updated, causing these kind of, it would start and then reboot itself. Just really kind of strange issues, which I've read about, but like I said, luckily haven't experience that myself but overall i do like it uh, again complaints would be just kind of little nitpicky kind of things that i'm sure apple's going to fix well yeah it, it is just uh, it's a pretty big change so it'll take time to build mm-hmm. in gaz how did you get on in your ipad only okay 
Well, well, actually, it's not just iPad only because my youngest daughter's got an iPhone four, and she's gone to obviously she she updated be, almost before I'd done the iPad, so she's cracked in there straight away. And I must say that the the, the biggest gripe I think I've got at the moment is the folders, because and and. Let me go back. When I changed it, I updated. I handed the iPad to uh, Mrs. G, and she her first quote to me was, and I was quite surprised at this. She looked at it and she said, "You've made it all boring." Now, of course, it's Ooh. my fault. It's my fault, but I was quite surprised. She thought that the new look was more boring than the previous look. So that's that's just an opinion from obviously um, the, the 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 lady in my life. Now. Um, I've got a bit of a problem with the the folders, which I think look better on the smaller screen than they do on the iPad screen. I think they look blocky and um, childlike on the iPad. And when you open the folders up, I think there's so much real estate in there that they could have used that a lot more. And that's that's a bit of a gripe that I've got with it. And also um, with updates in the App Store, I'd love an option to be able to turn out, turn off all of the apps that I've already updated. You know, once I've updated them, I'm happy. I don't want to see them anymore. Now, I understand that there might be people that have the update in the system and don't know what it is and what it's given them, so they'd like to see that. But I'd actually like to turn that off because it, it's just... It, it, but that's an absolute minor, minor gripe. Yeah. But the folder the folder gripe is my, my biggest, you know... Well, come on, Apple, <laughs> yeah. pull your finger out. But it, on the iPad, it's pretty... like. Yeah. I've had, I have folders with little dots on the bottom where I have to swipe left and right, and I'm saying, there's acres of space here. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, acres. Yeah, you can yeah, fit yeah. 20 icons in here. Yeah, maybe adjust them a little bit closer. Uh, another complaint somebody pointed out, and I'm, I'm starting to share the opinion after using it for a while, because <laughs> it, it's neat the first time you use it, but you know they've got all these transition animations in there. Yeah. Um, and they've made them deliberately really slow for some reason. If you if you watch like when you unlock the phone or when you open a folder, those animations they need to be faster. Maybe they have them slow the first time so you can see the effect. But uh, it's funny, especially with the 5s, which is this you know blazing blazing fast processor and, and graphics and stuff like that. It's like the OS is actually slowing things down on purpose, right? So you can see that animation flying. I, I don't really care. After the first time or second time yeah. of seeing it, it's like, no, just open the folder. Just unlock it's, the yeah, phone. I don't. It, it's like the parallax as well. You know, once I've done it once, it's nice, but, you know, do I, it, I suppose it's like on your, on your Mac uh, when you, you, know, you, you slowly open a folder, the genie effect. To show yeah, you hold people, down shift to you know, show it off, and you know. Yeah, right. I mean, how once you've done it once, how many times do you want to see that again? Now well, you actually, can turn the parallax off, right? From the yes, from yeah. the um, accessibility controls. Does that also impact the animations? Nope. Does anybody it know? Okay. No, no, it doesn't. It it, but the parallax. I I turned after looking at it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's neat, and turned it right off. It, it <laughs> yeah. To me, it didn't help with the itch phrase, but I agree with Adam, and and again, that would be a nit. For me, a nitpicking it's a point. Nitpick. It's total nitpick. I mean, how? Yes, I mean, I don't need it to is. see my icons flying every single time. It's like, uh, yeah, you're right. It, it's funny that and you bring slowly. that up because it was, yeah, it was one of those things that I was kind of like, oh, okay, and then it didn't become an annoyance until other people said, that's an annoyance, and I'm like, yeah, that is an annoyance. That is kind of annoying. I'm Let's get rid contrary. of it. I actually, I actually really like them still, even after you've said that they're horrible, and I still like them. But the one that gets me is that, so when you lock the phone, it fades out peacefully, and that's nice. But when you unlock the phone, it fades in peacefully, 
and a little bit too slowly to the point where I keep on hitting the home button going, come on. I, oh, no, there you are. Sorry, you were just taking your time, animating your way to life. That, that one annoys me, but the rest of them I'm fine with. I unfortunately didn't succeed in the not having any bugs category. In fact, I spectacularly didn't succeed in not having any bugs category. And anyone who was following me on Twitter knows that I, I really, you know, it's, for me it's been a mix of... Which phone are you on? Um, I've done everything uh, because I'm me, right? right I did everything okay. before I realised that I had terrible trouble, <laughs> which is typical. Um, in fact, the iPad went fine. There's not a single problem with the iPad for me. It just I installed it, it worked, everything was grand. It was my iPhone yep. that has caused me no end of bother. And uh, the first problem is that I have been avoiding Apple's stupid new podcasts app like The Plague, and Apple removed that choice from me. And that's when everything went absolutely pear-shaped. And really, from the, as soon as I installed that app, I ended up with syncing problems, I ended up with both my Mac, well, iTunes, and my entire iPhone crashing. <laughs> and then last night, I had the bizarre thing, I, like, I go to bed listening to an audiobook. And so I went to sleep last night listening to an audiobook. I hit, you know, I do the alarm clock thing, 30, 15 minutes, then turn off. And I went to go to bed last night, and I went into, I opened the music app, and the playlist, where all of my audiobook was, had been renamed Unknown Playlist and had nothing in it. Sure. Okay. So I hit the Playlists tab, which had nothing in it. So I hit the Music tab, and everything had a cloud icon next to it. Uh, so I plugged the phone into iTunes, and this giant block of my phone became unknown. Or misc, whatever that brown-coloured thing is. Right. So then I went to sync. I said, okay, fine, you've deleted everything. I'll just resync it. But it hadn't actually deleted it. It had just forgotten what it was. So then it wouldn't let me sync because I was over capacity. <sighs> because it now had two of everything. And so I basically had to undo all of my careful choosing of what music I wanted and everything and get just like the tiniest bit of music onto it synced it, backed it up, and then I went, oh, that space, that's actually gone now. And then it gave me back all the free space, and then I had to resync everything, which took about an hour, because I had 40 gigs of stuff there. The reason I bought a big iPhone was because it's replacing my iPod. And so to me, it's a communicator, it's a phone, it's an iPod, it stopped being an iPod. Couldn't do podcasts, couldn't do music. Interestingly <laughs> enough, I, I've never been a fan of the iPod. Uh, sorry, the um, the podcast app. I've I, mm. I not liked it from the start. I've not liked it since it had been updated. Now, I don't know whether it's been updated again or whether I just haven't used it recently. But I'm now a bit of – I've actually gone over to it. Um, mm. I, I don't like yeah, what they've done tomorrow. Yeah, I don't like what they've done to iTunes. I think that's abysmal now. Um, but actually, the pod, I'm now using the podcast app um, a lot, a whole lot more than I was uh, prior to iOS 7. Well, see, I, was gonna I give still it hate go. it, but it's better. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to give it a go. I was say, okay, fine, you've pushed me here. Okay, I'll give it a go. But at one minute in time, the Mac said I had 12 podcasts to listen to, and yeah, the iPhone yeah. said I had 114. <laughs> Yeah, this, yeah. yeah, I did have that at the start. I must admit, I did have it at the start, but it seems to have settled down and, and, and sorted itself out. But I was really looking at iTunes and the iPad because I don't have a third uh, or a second iOS device to compare to. I have to say, what for I me, the- doing, I bought Downcast for the Mac and for iOS, set up mm-hmm. and syncing, and it just plain old works. Oh. Couple, a couple good things. Apparently, Marco Arment is, is going to do a podcast app now. Um, he announced that, so I'm looking forward to see what seeing what he comes up with. Um, I'm a big Downcast fan. I haven't done the desktop version yet, but I was thinking about it. I almost pulled the trigger on oh, it. I'll, I'll um, give you a little warning on that. 
it's it's very obviously it came second to the touch app because right. the GUI is very much finger sized, which makes <laughs> no sense on a Mac. So there right. are there are things about the GUI that just they would work really nice on the iPad, and I look at them on the map on Mac, and I go, no, I right, you guys have done too much iPad work. This is not a Mac app. This is an iPad app on the Mac, but it does work. So that's, that's um, but uh, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, which baffles me the most about the change that they made in iTunes eleven point one, and with the pod, the whole podcast thing is why the heck does it sync via your iTunes account when everything else that I have, my notes and all my other stuff, syncs with my iCloud account? So my iTunes Store Apple ID versus my iTunes Apple ID. Because what happened to me is my wife and I, because we share our purchases you mm-hmm. know, for iBooks and all, all of our iTunes purchases and, and iStore purchases, we share an Apple ID. So immediately now her podcasts and my podcasts are all merged together. And we have no other choice but to keep them merged. Because wow. I'm not about to sign up for another Apple ID because that means then I'm going to have to buy everything twice. Right? Because oh, you, it, one of the things I did, Adam, I know very you can share early accounts, but it's a big pain in the butt. One of the things Sorry. I did very early on was to have a separate iCloud account to my iTunes account. I, that's what I have. That's what I have. Yeah, but the but problem is, is podcasts sync to your iTunes account, not to ah, right. your gotcha, iCloud gotcha, 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 account, gotcha. like everything else. Gotcha. That's that's gotcha. that's the stupidest thing I, that I don't understand. Yeah, it'd be great if they would sync to that. Like it syncs over iCloud. How? Uh? No, it syncs over it syncs over iTunes. Oh. The podcasts sync over iTunes. It's the one exception. I don't understand it. That's what I, I'm confused I about. I assume the magic cloud syncing was through iCloud. You know, oh, how silly of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know I, behind the scenes, I don't know how Apple terms it, but the point is, yeah. you use your your iTunes Store ID for. Uh, controlling the podcast syncing. So you put your iTunes ID into the podcast app, you put your iTunes ID into iTunes, and it syncs. That's what controls the syncing and, and all that sort of stuff, as near as I can tell, if, if I'm wrong. But immediately what happened is my wife upgraded, and she's like, what are all these podcasts? Why do I have all your podcasts in my... And I went, oh, son of a... Which also means, of course, the converse, you have all hers. Exactly. Exactly, and if we want to separate them, I have to have her sign up for her own uh, iTunes Store ID, and then we, and then I've got to deal with authorizing, you know, everything with two different accounts. Because if she then buys something on, you know, a new app, and I want that app, I'm going to have to install it on mine, and then authorize with her username and password as well as my username. And it's just that's way too cumbersome for a family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's still a weak point, actually, with with Apple stuff. Is they're very good me devices. They're not very good us devices. Well, what's weird though is their their family licensing. You know, their licensing is set up yeah. perfectly for sharing, but mm. their system isn't. Right? So yeah, yeah. They've got it on the licensing side. They don't have it on the management side at all. And and Netflix have done a brilliant implementation. I love yeah. Netflix. Oh, the, that that whole popping up. Who are you? Click, and I don't see anime anymore, <laughs> which which drove me nuts. Um, I suppose we should also mention before we finish up with iOS. Um, it was pretty successful in terms of people downloading it. Oh um, my god. Pretty successful? <laughs> that's Yeah, 29% <laughs> of iOS users were on 7 within 16 hours, which explains why I had such a hard time downloading it. <laughs> Aren't they up to something like... I, I thought I saw an article recently saying that they're now at about 60% conversion hmm. or something like that already. Android would dream of that. Didn't they pass out whatever the latest jelly bean or sandwich or whatever, whatever the latest one is? 
and are the latest dessert of choices. Didn't they pass like where they were in eight months in about three or four days? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Well, um, the problem is, is I mean, like eighty percent of the devices can't even run the latest version, right? <laughs> of Android. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, is, that is definitely a big problem. Or carry I, I, and I'm way. exaggerating. I am exaggerating that. So mm. I don't want. I don't want emails or don't don't send Bart emails. I'm totally exaggerating <laughs> that number. I have no idea what okay, it is. Okay, but, but. <laughs> you're exaggerating in one sense, but not in every sense. Because unless you buy a Nexus phone, you need either the person who made your phone or your carrier to let you have the update. So right. if you root your phone, great, you can update. But who does that? Apart from nerds, they'll be fine. But, you know, it, it is actually a problem. Um, the other thing, actually, I thought was worth notice, mentioning is that, so everyone has gotten, so Touch ID is only for the people who buy the shiny new S. But everyone now has this thing where your phone needs your iCloud ID to be reused by someone else yes. to do a factory restore. So in effect... All of our phones have become worthless to someone who steals them, assuming we're using iCloud. Which is pretty cool. So cool, in fact, that the New York uh, City Police Department became Apple sort of PR by going around with posters telling people to update to iOS 7, which was weird. And, and But you know what? They were handing out those flyers right on the subway. And one of the biggest places iPhones are stolen is, you know, people sit, uh, is the subway. And it's usually a grab and run. Well, uh, you know, and yeah, okay. New York's I a big think, city. You expect that, okay. right? In Dublin, that happens. It happened to a good. Actually, it happened to Paul wow. Bren, who wrote our theme tune. He was sitting on a suburban train out to Maynooth, of all places, and the train pulled into a station. A little kid ran by, snatched his phone out the door. Doors closed. Train pulled off. End of iPhone. iPhone was one day old. Wow. Ugh. You know, you hope that okay, the Apple users know this, and you know, along with the whatever fifty. Five sixty percent of uh, you know iOS users have updated. It's the bad guys that have to know this too. Yes. <laughs> you know, you kind of hope well, they realize. You know, no, it does, it's not even the bad guys who need to know this. It's the people who would buy fenced iPhones, right. and that's the unfortunate yeah. thing. Is yeah. right. you know the the bad guys just going to steal it and then try and flip flip it around and sell it to some unsuspecting person right or mm. you know some you know so they're not really going to. I don't think this is going to be that much of a deterrent to the. Uh, crooks, at least not initially. It's going to have to take the the public as be like, I am not buying an iPhone off off the street because it will work. because yeah. I know I'm not going to be able to activate it. And how long that happens? Unfortunately, there's always you know uninformed. I mean, if you're if you're buying you know Stolen. off the street iPhones from shady people, then you probably aren't. <laughs> smart enough or don't care, you know, about activating, don't even think about activating it. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Adam, but unfortunately they do. They will still blame Apple for the the resulting (laughs) bad loss that they have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They can't can't see beyond their nose. I I think a lot of people are very positive. I I think this is a great step for Apple to do from a PR perspective. As far as the end result of less iPhones being stolen, I'm, I'm... cautious about waiting to see where those numbers are. I don't know that this is going to serve as is to disrupt the sort of illegal market for for iPhones all that much. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just I not optimistic time, enough. But I think it will actually have an effect. Well, of course someone's going to find a way to effectively hack that system because it's, you know, it's always hackable. So then the price of stolen iPhones There'll be a scarcity, so they're going to get more expensive, and then the crooks are going to have to spend some time hacking through that protection. Although maybe if it's all on Apple, mm-hmm. anyway, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. But I, I think exactly the I think market we... the market will be affected. 
I guess we yeah. see how strongly. Before well, and, and with sorry, the other thing I'll just mention is Apple has probably started a new trend. I mean, this is one of those things that's going to be great because I think other Apple's competitors are going to start to do the same thing. So we're going to see Android phones and maybe there's already other devices. I don't know if Apple's first to do this, take this step or not. But, you know, the more companies that start to do this, then it, it, it's going to be more successful in terms of being a deterrent. Yeah, I'd love to see what the, the figures are on Android and uh, Microsoft phones for theft. <laughs> that was totally cheap, really. You can't I, steal I, what doesn't again, exist. Again, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's more that it's going to suddenly get out that, you know what, yeah, stealing yeah. cell phones is not a really, smartphones is not a really lucrative process because they're all locked and people are going to know not yeah. to buy them. And sure, you know, The more exposure that this sort of security feature gets, the better because the more Public awareness means you know yeah. less of the yeah, stuff is going to happen. Go move, on, sneakers. move on to a new scam or a new way to make money. Before we wrap up the show, I thought we just might quickly mention some of the other stories that you know were significant this month. Now, one of the things, if we'd had a little more time, I would have spent longer on is uh, not a good month for our friends over in BlackBerry. Yeah, to put it mm-hmm. mildly. Yeah, They've managed to lose as much as Apple made in three days in a quarter. Um, They've managed to lose a billion which is spectacular. And they've managed to lose 4,500 people their job, which is pretty spectacular too. And then they managed to fluff up the rollout of their one and only remaining thing of value, which is a BlackBerry Messenger service, to the point where they had to unpublish apps. And uh, then T-Mobile said they couldn't be bothered selling their phones anymore. And uh, finally then, there's a deal been struck to take the company private. Um, Private to its grave, most probably, I think. Well, do you think they'll just turn to the software stuff, which might be the only way they can save it at this point? I think BBM, so like is, all, the, yeah, BBM is all they have left of value, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I mean. So I, I can foresee them just going straight to the software stuff where they've been very successful. I, and, I, and I've never used BlackBerry Messenger, but apparently the people who do use it absolutely just, it's, they love it for some reason. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is about it that makes it different than another messaging system, but... Well, I've never looked into it that deeply. Built right into their phone, which means if it isn't built right into their phone, is it going to survive? Well, I have iMessage. It's built right into my phone. But I guess that's an Apple-only thing instead of being cross-platform. So maybe that's, that's okay, the huge difference. BBM is BlackBerry-only for now until they unfluff up this launch. Right, right, right. But they're going to... I, I have they are going no to, yeah, that yeah, They're going to yeah. do that. They'll figure that. I'm not, That was kind of a, you know, more of a uh, egg-on-the-face kind of thing, but they'll, they'll survive that one. Yeah, I suppose. I um, think it, actually it's a shame, really, because you, you need plenty of competition out there. And whether you know, it, the demise of BlackBerry is down to the, not just the iPhone, it's probably Android as well. It's a combination of things. But it's it's a shame. And it's, uh, you know, those people who've lost their jobs are not going to be very happy either. But, you know, it's, it, to have plenty of competition out there is always good, we think. It's a yeah. shame because it didn't have to happen. I mean, they were no. just dumb about how they – I mean, the – the BlackBerry tablets and, and the stuff they were doing could have been great, but they, you know, they, they did that whole thing of tying it to the phone. They just made some really bad choices. Yeah. Well, they, they sort of, they did a bomber, to be honest. They scoffed at the iPhone and thought it was a stupid little toy and it wasn't going to change anything. Um, I mean, there was some very good, qu- I can't remember who it was, had some sort of claim chowder on bomber, you know, his quotes from six years ago. And then his quote from his leaving speech where he said, and we basically have no presence in the mobile space. I was like, yeah, and that's your fault, mate. <laughs> and you know, and BlackBerry were yeah. worse because they had it, and they lo- it was theirs to lose, and they succeeded very spectacularly yeah. in losing. 
Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. But you know what? It's not a, a mystery. Just to jump in here, I know you want to wrap things up, but it's not a mystery with BlackBerry because anybody that's worked at companies or worked for companies, BlackBerry was the phone. And mm-hmm. IT departments swore by it up and down. When you walked into a company and started seeing them switch away, whether it was you know a Nexus phone or the and, and in most cases the iPhone, that was a very kind of obvious hands-on. Wow, there people have lost total faith in BlackBerry. Mm. And I mean, I I had clients that swore up and down, and really towards the the end of the cycle of them owning Blackberries, where they started having issues with the hardware, and then kind of going online and researching, going, wow, a lot of people are having this problem. I, I mean, I have one client that threw their hands up in the air and went, all right, what do we need to do to go iPhone? And, and how does that affect us? And they were already Mac. They were already a Mac house. So it was kind of like, well, it's not huge. And there were certain things that they used. And I'm like, you know what? We could get that set up for you on your Macs and your iPhones and, and off. So it was kind of a very real world thing to see. You know, it wasn't one of these kind of, you know, I mean, there was poor management there also and, and poor rollouts and stuff like that. But it, it, being kind of on the front lines and seeing this happen, it was like, well, that's it. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing that has to be mentioned is a fairly substantial shakeup in the world of Nokia, as in Nokia, as far as phones are concerned, don't really exist anymore. They're going to become part of Microsoft. Um, so I guess, uh, I suppose that isn't really unexpected given who their CEO was, but still, big change. And uh, I don't know if this will turn out in hindsight to be big news, but they released version two of their Surface, which we may or may not look back on as a big non-story. Um, well, the interesting thing there to me is that um, I was reading a story somewhere and I forget where it was, where it said, and I, I haven't confirmed this for myself, but I'm assuming it to be true, where they said uh, Microsoft is now the only hardware man- manufacturer making a Surface RT model. I can understand why. I've used one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, I just found that very, in, very interesting. You know, everybody else is doing the, doing the pro thing, I guess. But the, the thing with the pro thing is the pro thing doesn't make sense to me either. And actually, none of it, well, none, none of it, <laughs> no, none of it makes sense. None no. of it. Does. Well, you know what makes sense, and and I was really hoping to hear in the surface uh, announcement, and I did not hear this. Is why the heck don't they get that all they need to do? The RT would be massively, massively popular if they would do a decent version, a touch version of Office for it. If they made mm. a touch optimized version of Office like we have with the iWork suite on iPads, they would just, they would sell a a metric ton load of that. That's all people want. They want a tablet that just is awesome at office. And for 200 bucks or whatever they sell that for, or where were they at 350? I mean, they, they would sell a ton of them. It it, it could save that. And I didn't see them talk about that. They talked about, you know, these fancy covers that are going to cost, you know, specialized covers. And they they actually said, we put all of our effort in the Pro model into more battery life. And I'm thinking there were a lot of things wrong with that device you needed to work on. And battery life wasn't the top of my list. Well, when, when did they forget that they were a software company? That's, that's where I think they've gone all wrong. I mean, they, they've always been good at, so, at software for their, their consumers that you know, use that stuff. And they've, they've now got it so muddled up um, and so lost focus that just... You know, that's that's where to me they went well, south. So perhaps perhaps these companies are just finding that an office application on a tablet is harder than it seems. 
I, it, that is true. It doesn't seem that way to me, but maybe maybe they know something I don't. They didn't put any effort into it, did they? The re- I mean, did no, they? no, they didn't. They didn't. I agree with you. But the reason I say that, Adam, is because of the, the differential between the um, uh, um, Apple uh, the iWork apps on mm-hmm. the iOS devices compared to what you've got uh, on the desktop and the integration between the two is still not as smooth as perhaps it could be. No, um, not at all. But I mean, I, I think that's actually to Apple's benefit. A lot of people kind of see it as a detriment. But if more and more people are just turning to tablets as their main creation device, it's really a non-issue. Yeah. So, you know, if I've got an iPad and I've got iWork and that's my only device, and I think a lot of people are moving in that direction where the iPad is their computer, then it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. I can buy a, a printer and I can print from it. I can, you know, I just have the functionality there and it works really well as a touch word processor. And I think that's what Microsoft is missing. Yeah. Especially with the R, especially with the RT. I mean, we can we can have a different debate about the Pro because I think it's marketed at a different consumer. But you know, the RT was supposed to be their consumer level offering, and they I, I think they just don't know how to build hardware and software for consumers. Well, the Surface hardware is nice, and it is. It, it had one flow. It had one flow, which was the kickstand. Sort of meant that you had to sit at a certain position or it didn't work. Yeah. And now the kickstand has two positions, so the one hardware problem is fixed. But I, I had a, I, I work gave me a Windows 8 tablet to play with, to basically mm-hmm. to evaluate it and see what it was like. It wasn't made by Microsoft. It was a Dell one, and it was running Pro, and the experience was nothing short of awful. And every time you got kicked back into that stupid desktop mode where your finger was useless, exactly. It was yeah, you're, you're, yeah. They, they, that's where I'm saying they, the the failure is not. I don't think is as much in the hardware as it is in the software and the applications. Yeah. Now the Dell tablet, the failure was in both, right? Oh, <laughs> the yeah, Dell tablet yeah. was just the, awful the, in every the possible hardware way. Is, I mean, we went yeah. and spent, I went into a Microsoft store and spent some time with it, and it wasn't too bad. It's a little, it's a little on the bulky well, side, but Microsoft were very keen to sell surfaces here. Apparently, the education space is where they're focusing because they had a deal going for all the Irish educational institutions where we could get one at something like 150 euro off. Um, <laughs> I mean, and a lot of my colleagues bought them because they figured that at that price they were competitive. Right. At their full price, they're not. You know, so I've actually seen quite a few real world. Uh, I'm only la- I'm only laughing because here in Southern California, LA school district just had a problem with kids hacking their, yeah. their iPads, <laughs> and so I can only imagine a whole school district with Surface tablets running, you know, Windows. How you know if they can hack if they can yeah. hack iOS? Imagine the ability to hack a Windows tablet. Okay, well, I'm going to round this out. I just want to flag one story, which I'm hoping will become news in the future months, which is that Martha Stewart is having a good go at Lotsis, and I hope she wins. So that that could. Oh, I thought you were going to mention. I thought you were going to mention her her issues with uh, getting her uh, iPad repaired. Oh no, I didn't hear that. I, I just heard that Lotsis tried to sue her, and she was having none of it. And she's she's been sending back. out a bunch of tweets uh, on how she doesn't understand why. Um, Apple hasn't come to pick up her iPad, you know, to fix it because she dropped it off the top of her car. <laughs> oh, but of course, Steve. I mean, Tim Cook should drive personally to her car to pick it up for her. Well, she she said, and then people were kind of railing on her for that. And she's like, "Well, Steve Jobs gave it to me. Come on, what's why? Why is Apple <laughs> PR having? Why is Apple PR having problems with me tweeting about this?" <laughs> but but yeah, that means that she hasn't bought a new one in quite some time. <laughs> 
Anyway, it's, it's a funny thread, but that's good to hear that she's dealing with the load cyst thing. Yeah, she, and she's really going for the jugular with the load cyst. She is suing to have the patents invalidated. If she wow. wins, the problem goes away, which is why I'm saying this is going to take time. It's going to evolve. If it evolves well, this will be a new story for us to cover, hopefully in a few months' time. So I'm just flagging it for now. Anyway, thank you very much, folks, for um, taking us on our maiden voyage of this new podcast. Um, before we wrap up, um, do you want to give people some links for where they can find you? Um, I'm not sure what order we went in the first time, but we'll try going the other order. Um, was it Gaz was the last social there for me first? Yeah, I think so. So, uh, yeah, dead easy, gazmaz.com. Uh, on the Twitters, gazmaz, and pretty much gazmaz most places, to be honest with you. Nice and easy. And thanks for inviting me on, Bart. It's been good. My pleasure. And given that this is a Stoplight Network show, you should probably plug your Stoplight Network show. Uh, okay. It, it, go over and listen to Guy and myself, uh, the, the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Uh, I think you'll find it's uh, not quite as serious as a lot of podcasts. <laughs> stand by to stand by. Anyway. <laughs> I do love that. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Steve, do you want to plug yourself or other stuff? Sure, and I can make a comment, but I won't. Yeah, uh, no, you can find you me over that, at. Uh, yeah, <laughs> keep it clean, keep it clean. Uh, SteveStanger dot com, and also on Twitter, uh, TMA Steve. Excellent, and uh, finally, Adam. Yeah, you can find me at uh, MacCast.com, pretty much MacCast every pl- place else. MacCast on Twitter, occasionally the MacCast because. For some reason, it got picked up somewhere. So try MacCast or the MacCast. Um, also, I do We Have Communicators, which is a more iOS-focused podcast. So if people are looking for that, that uh, you know, that kind of content, I do that with Jeff Gamut from the Mac Observer and Michael Johnston. So uh, that's pretty much where you'll find me. Can I just say that We Have Communicators is, as far as I'm concerned, the best podcast name ever? Because <laughs> that is really what I Thank felt you. when I got my first. Like my first iOS device wasn't an iPhone, it was a, an iPod Touch, but I felt like I was in the future. And then when I heard the name of that show, I was like, oh yeah, that, that, that's nailed it. So. Well, good, I came up with that one, so that, that's mine. Because it used to be the iPhone Alley podcast, but uh, yeah. Michael yeah. Uh, sold that site, and so we had to change the name. Well, that worked out for the better. Yeah. Right, speaking of uh, contacting and stuff, so you can contact this show on Twitter, or in fact this and the other photography show, at, at LTPod, which is short for Let's Talk Podcasts. You can also email this show at apple at lets-talk.ie and the website for the show is lets-talk.ie. I've been your host for today, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hello, I'm Guy. And I'm Gaz from the MyMac.com podcast. And we're here to tell you about a very serious condition plaguing Mac users everywhere. It's known as BPSI, or Boring Podcast Sleep Induction. It can happen anytime, anywhere, while listening to dull podcasts and driving. You can prevent BPSI by subscribing to the MyMac.com podcast on iTunes. Our podcast is many things, 
<laughs> but never boring. Available without a doctor's prescription. The MindMac.com podcast is not responsible for loss of bodily functions while laughing. Side effects include blurred vision, nervous sticks, trying not to smile, angry yelling when we say something wrong, and the inability to call our Skype number, which is 703-436-9501. Women trying to become pregnant should not be listening to the MindMac.com podcast as it will take time away from having sex, which you normally need to do to become pregnant. So remember, listen to the MyMac.com podcast. Think of the children. <laughs>